Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 9 of the Resurrected Everyone News You podcast. As ever, my name is David and I am sitting three miles across from Mr. Alex Aldridge. <laughs> How are you doing today, Alex? Oi, oi. I feel really strangely close to you, only three nice miles and away. Nice yes. It was nice of you to come all this way to visit, but not all, but not the entire way. Mm. You came all but three miles, because that's our restraining order setting. Uh, yeah, I also got, I got threatened by the snow. There's lots of snow going around, so... We had snow for an hour. Oh, it's gone again. We, we have a few inches on the ground. Outside, for April, that's lucky us. I remember there being snow in April when I lived in Aberdeen, so that sounds standard to me. Um, we're in the risk of descending into one of those boring British people that like to talk about weather and queues, I had amazing <laughs> sun on Saturday, got sunburnt. And then Sunday it was freezing cold. Monday we've got about two inches of snow. So, yeah, the crazy life of living in Aberdeen. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, for any American listeners out there, they may not experience that kind of thing. So, no, they may not experience the life in, of dull grey cold and sometimes sunny Aberdeen. Yeah, I mean, I know New York gets pretty cold because I've been there in February and it was horrendous. That was probably colder than anything I've ever experienced in this country. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the only time I've been to New York is September, and it was pretty warm. Yeah, that'd that be quite humid, yeah. I'd have thought. Yeah. My wife got snowed in in New York, I think. She had to stay for an extra, like, week. Oh, she? Yeah, she had to just stay in the hotel and spend loads and loads more money and just got stranded there because of a blizzard. And it just, just com- She was completely broke when she came back. Oh, I know. <laughs> So even like I was about to say, well, at least she's stranded in a cool place. But if you're stuck, you can't really do anything. Yeah, if there's a blizzard going on, all you're gonna have to be able to do is watch, I don't know, Fox and Friends or some horse shit. Some terrible TV. Yeah. Eat Twinkies and yes. Look at cockroaches and uh, well, I don't know what else America has. Guns. Buy a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Guns. COVID. Buy American listeners. <laughs> 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 I, one thing I do like about America to, um, is when I was in New Orleans, the food there is unreal. Never had food like it. I forgot you, that like, you've been to New Orleans. Yeah, fav, favorite American city, I think, of all the ones. I've oh been wow! To. Okay. Um, I'm trying. If I'm going to make it, since we're here to make a top five of American cities, <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret bonus top five. New York is a crazy town. I think it would be up there for me. I, I was a fan of New York. New Orleans is definitely my favorite. Um, Atlanta, I was a fan of that. Uh, I forgot you did all of that. I'm super jealous Jack- of that. Jacksonville's quite fun. The um, where's the I was trying to think of the like the country and western place. I'm having uh I'm having an absolute blank. Houston Texans are there. I think yeah. it's the Houston Texans. Houston not, No, because that'd be Texas and that'd be Houston. So, yes. Uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we we stayed in a house. Tennessee. F- Tennessee, that's it. Nashville is also a good fun place to have been to. What did you do? You did you did you drive somewhere? Yeah, we were going on a cruise, um, so we flew in and we arrived like a week or so before, just less than a week. So we flew into Florida and then we drove from Florida, stopping off at various points along the way up to Tennessee and then drove back again. Right, okay. Over the course of a week. It was good fun. That was different to the New Orleans one, was it? Or is that that was same? different to New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans was for a, 
we've had yet another cruise but we arrived four days before stayed stayed in new orleans for four days and then went on a cruise and then stayed in new orleans for another three nights i think when we got back again at the other side yeah i remember being super jealous of all the cruises you used to go on mm. i can't imagine there's gonna be very many cruises going on just now no um yeah i've been super generic for the us it's not it's not exciting i've been to Probably the most obscure place I've been is Cranford, New Jersey, which was really quaint and nice. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's to someone from, again, like the northeast of Scotland, that's, that seems quite random and interesting to me. It's somewhere that you wouldn't normally, it's not one of the big tick box locations. No, it was just because my girlfriend at the time's family lived there. So we just went and stayed with them for some free accommodation and had a little trip out to New York across the old Lincoln Tunnel. And I've only ever been to like Vegas. So I've been to New Jersey, New York, Vegas, and LA. That's it. Nothing exciting like you. I mean, that is Jacksonville pretty. Jacksonville. I, I would love to go to LA. I think cause... LA was great. Yeah. I got to co- I got to correct the tour guide because he got his Batman film trivia wrong. <laughs> I bet you really enjoyed that. He said something like the first four Tim Burton Batman films. I was like, "There's only two Tim Burton Batman films, mate. You're talking about the Joel Schumacher ones." And he was like, "Am I?" I was like, "Yeah. Trust me. I know this, and you don't." Yeah. <laughs> Evidently. Yeah. What a loser. So what are we doing here, Alex, other than putting America to rights? Um we are biding more time uh between game <laughs> so still It's been a bit sludge. of a it's been a bit of a nightmare really, hasn't it? We've um Hades is a game that I came, we came into discussing about doing for a podcast after I'd played for over a hundred hours, which it's completely unreasonable to expect somebody else to just plow that much into just to talk about it on a podcast, especially in a, in a you know a couple of weeks or whatever. So, realistically, David is miles off of getting Hades finished and may never finish it. So let's just put that one permanently on the back burner for now. And if he ever gets to ten clears, I'm, I um I will do it. I've committed to it on a podcast, so I am determined. More, more than one podcast, yeah, but. If if you and I discuss a game in private, happy to ba- happy to abandon it. But once it goes out in the podcast waves, <laughs> if I've committed to it, I'll be doing the, it. The hungry masses are waiting. You've got no yeah, choice exactly, now. Exactly. There's people waiting for my hot takes on yeah. <laughs> Hades. What have I got um, to say about that? And then we were gonna we were gonna um we were gonna do another game. I found a new game that had come out on Game Pass called Narita Boy, but it is shit. So yeah, we don't like that, so we're not going to do it. I could not stand writing notes about it because it's so full of jargon and nonsense, and it wasn't really what I thought it was, and just wasn't enjoyable to play. That I just we just gave up on that after that's, a couple that's of hours. The thing until we're at until we actually make some money on this podcast, trying to get one of us to play through a game that we don't like is going to be a hard ask, and probably quite yes. an unfair ask. Maybe once yeah. we can dedicate yeah. some time to it and there's some resources behind it, then then we can push ourselves through games we don't necessarily like. But, well, we're still doing it for a passion project and for fun. Let's just keep it that way. Until we get an iTunes review or any review of any kind, we will never play a game we don't like. Yep. So if you want to hear us get angry about a game we don't like for an hour and a half, then you have to subscribe and review on some pl- podcast platform. I can see there's people listening. I know you're yeah, out there. Just they fucking exist. review it. 
Give us five stars, you cheap bastards. And then we will happily sit through Duke Nukem forever or some other pile of wank. But until then, we're only going to play games that are fun. So To an extent. While we're in this perpetual holding pattern, we have decided to come back to you with another, well, we called it Quickfire Top 5 initially. Let's see how quickfire we can be. Um, so we're coming back up to you with some top five lists. We have three on the on the docket for you this time round. We're going to be discussing our top five eight bit theme songs, music themes. Yep, theme music songs. Anyway, top five <laughs> video game Easter eggs and top five video games made by UK developers. Easter eggs on Easter Monday. Which keeping this- it. These lists, lists, yeah, exactly. That's that's why the Easter theme is a foot. But these actually turned out to be harder than I thought they would be. I thought this would be fine to bash out. No, this required some some actual thought. So if you agree or don't agree with us, remember and comment, email, tweet, at winner is you pod. At a winner is you pod. I think because yeah. it was at, it was after I made the 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 Twitter handle, I realised I thought, oh, I should have just called it Winners You Pod. Never mind, we are where we are. We're yep. on the shoddy, Which... this leaky a winner is you ship, so we will sail it home. Yeah. Do you want in to in our beds that we w- made exactly nice and made? Do you want to dive in? What what top five list do you want to begin with, Alex? I think we should start off with getting musical, should we? Yeah, let's get musical. Okay, so. In an attempt to make this more quick than normal, we have now dropped our honourable mentions to two each instead of five each. So you're welcome. <laughs> you can still do something later on today. <laughs> um, and so can we. Um, so I suggest that, yeah, by the time we've got to about, well, hopefully 30 minutes of this podcast, we should be ready to shut up. But we'll see. We'll see. The good thing about 8-bit songs is that they don't last for very long. No. So... <laughs> so my first honourable mention I will give for this is the kind of I guess it's the overworld theme, but it's more like the the yeah it is the overworld because when you go into individual levels that changes. So the overworld theme for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is one of the most hateful, disgusting, impossibly hard games to play. That this is probably why I like this song is because it's one of the only ones I've ever heard from the game because I can't do it. It's just too hard. So. Yeah, so the loop of that song is uh, 15 seconds, which is why it'll only ever be an honourable mention. Um, But like I said, game itself, horrific. Hate it. (laughs) Um, But that's... uh, It's not quite the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme, but it's... Yeah, it kind of evokes it in a a clever way. It's Mm -hmm. like a a weird little remix or a remake of the theme, which... um, yeah, I really, really like. And it has a real distinct 80s, 90s feel about the sound of it as well. Yeah, it's a fun one. It's a nice little... It is only an honourable mention. It did not make the top five. Let's hear one of yours. Um, my honourable mention is going to be Fighting in the Street on Streets of Rage. That's another one where I played this game as a kid and I think like my memory of this song... Yeah, there may be better songs in the game, but this is the one I heard most often because I was a kid and wasn't very good at the game. But... Yeah, I just think my favourite thing about Streets of Rage isn't even necessarily the game, so to speak. It's just I feel like it evokes the feeling of like a, a dark, 
dingy, gritty 80s American street. And the music does a good job of sort of bringing that home and wrapping it up in a nice little package. That game was released on the Mega Drive as well as the Game Gear and Master System. So to keep to keep it officially strictly 8-bit, your honourable mention includes that version rather than the Genesis version. Yeah. It's all the same song, it's all the same composer. Good song. Definitely has a fight feel about it. Yeah, which is, I guess, it's called Streets of Rage. It's about punching people in the face. So... Yeah, it's a fun song. I enjoyed it. Had a good time listening to it. Uh, my second honourable mention goes to the uh, Alex Kidd in Miracle World on the Master System and the, the water theme song. Have you heard that? No. This song is, for me, the most watery of all the underwater 8-bit theme songs. Way more so than the Mario games, um, which definitely do feel watery, <laughs> if that's a thing. Um, but this one has like a really nice sort of bob to it that kind of makes you feel like it, almost like it feels, it sounds floaty. Um, and it's super chilled out and yeah, I love it. Especially when you're... As you drop into the water, it's all part of the first level. So the actual main theme then just kind of changes into this. And it always seems to have a good transition for me. I, as as I'm listening to this song and watching watching the gameplay of this, this may have to... I've been like, very, uh, brainstorming ideas for YouTube videos. And one was video games that have water sections that aren't terrible. <laughs> and this doesn't look too bad, to be honest. This looks all right. Was it? Yeah, it's okay. You can still punch under there, so there's that. Yeah, Cause... I like he's got. I mean, I feel like I would. I'm. I would love to try and punch something underwater. I'm not sure it would have the same impact. So this. I'm thinking about that myself. I was going to say Mario can't do anything underwater, and but this guy seems to have a pretty good thrust under there. He does with his massive ears. Why has he got such big ears, Alex? Kid, he's a monkey, I think. Oh, is he? Yeah. Right. Okay. Kinda. He's some kind of sapien. Yeah, but I guess back on topic because I am. I am veering close to derailing us again yeah that's a nice it's a nice song that i get i i i I'm a, i was in a bit of like two minds when i was looking up eight bit songs one being just looking for a song that's absolutely rocking out with the game and you could listen to it on its own the second one is one that sort of evokes the feeling that it, 
of the level and the and yeah. the, the thing that it's going for. And I think that that is certainly well, it's a good song, but also it's certainly the latter. It it feels like a nice, a nice sort of poppy underwater, yeah, jolly time punching octopus. <laughs> exactly, yeah. which is always a good time. Exactly. In fact, uh, speaking of songs that evoke what's going on, your number five definitely does that. Yes, the training song from Punch Out. I yeah. this is a game that I haven't actually played a lot of my own, um, but I've watched a lot of people play it a lot over the years. And that this song is probably wrapped up. Not only is it a good song, but it's, there's a lot of wrapped up in memories with this song of watching people people play it. And yeah, I just love this song. It's really good. Yeah, um, Punch Out is easily for me in the top five games on the NES, um, but is very very difficult. I don't yeah. think it has actually got that much music in it. As far as I'm aware, it's just the fighting song, the training song, mm-hmm. and then like maybe a menu screen and then a little bit of music for all of the racial stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to get those in there. <laughs> but other than that, I actually do have the Japanese version of Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Oh, excellent. Tokyo. Let me see if I can find it. Hang on. Yeah, run. Oh, nice. I, I, I did that. I did that without my headphones in, so I didn't oh. even hear what you said. I'm assuming it was something like, well, that's amazing. That's so yeah. cool, Alex. Yeah, pretty much. I The only uh, Japanese game I have is I have the Japanese version of Diddy Kong Racing on the N64. Do you? Yes. That's the speedrunner's choice, you know. I think that... I don't know why that was the reason I bought it, but I think that is the reason I bought it. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, that that's a good one. I don't. I don't think I want to cut that just yet. Because that is a great song, and I pretty much probably didn't put it in because it's only again it's quite short. Yeah. So it's just got like one main loop that it does, and yeah. then after that, it's kind of just repeats itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the song I put at number five for my list that basically gets stuck in my head uh, for for ages afterwards. Um, my wife was saying she said to me earlier, like what what are you what's that song you're humming and i was like uh you're not gonna like it it's just <laughs> castlevania um let me give it to you This is another one that I feel kind of evokes it. It's a little bit fast, um, so it's not entirely like creepy or scary, but it definitely has that kind of gothic, evil tone to it, but tinged with a quite a big hint of adventure. This, for me, is the Castlevania song, the, the, the de facto Castlevania song. Yeah, it's uh, been in, in so memory. many games. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, this is the one that I actually haven't played a lot, but I've watched a lot of a lot of 
people playing it over the years either friends or like giant bomb playthroughs and stuff on their premium site and that that song is so good it is such a nice punchy song yeah this is one of my favorite versions of it actually the the original i think this is the first appearance of it in castlevania 2 castlevania 2 itself as a game is bollocks um (laughs) so it's not that one that i have the memory of this song from i think Uh it must be in symphony of the night it's just not as good in that game uh it's in loads of them like i said so but this version of this song is really really good got a real punch to it yeah it does really does so my next one this is another one that i I dearly love this little beat but it one this is not the game i remember it from i remember it from it's the title theme from donkey kong on the nes this is the original like the arcade one yeah um i the the i only realized this when i was researching 8-bit songs was they redid it for the SNES on Donkey Kong Country. The, uh, yeah, that I, was the... Um, it was the title theme again, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which I never realised was was a nod to the old game until right now. <laughs> but the... Um, maybe, maybe it doesn't make the cut because it's like 15 seconds long and yeah. my memory of this game isn't from this game this version this sort of version of the song so yeah i, I wanted not- to put it in there because I, I i bloody love it but it's it's also a change of pace from the other songs i've got on this on this list Da-da-da. yeah it's really kind of light and floaty yeah. um I think that may well be one of the only bits of music in the game because as far as I can remember, the rest of it is just... Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, there is no music in that game other than the title theme. Um, What what do you think of then? Cutting it? I would say cut it in favour of the other two so far. Maybe when we do the 16-bit version of this top five, we'll come back and uh, and give props to that game. So my next one, which I showed you earlier, is the only... This was a really tough one to pick because it's a Mega Man level theme mm-hmm. for a for a robot um so this is the only mega man actual normal robot theme we have in the entire list and we could quite easily have included about 20 of them from the history of the series on the on the nez but i in the end plumped for snake man from mega man 3 so here it is kind of starts off like a little bit uh i'm not entirely i'm not massively over on the, the the beginning part of the song but after it gets into sort of like the main riff around mm, 15 seconds or so yeah it just totally changes up and it's kind of almost like a it almost sounds like snake man some kind of adventurer or something or like he's uh i don't know it's almost like spy style music like it sounds heroic more heroic than it should do for an, for an enemy's level yeah 
Um, but for me, this is kind of like it's got the best section of like loops and it's, it's the most interesting of, of most of the Mega Man ones I can think of. A lot of the older ones, like Mega Man 2, everyone loves that for its music. And we'll come back to that later. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the stages don't have as many layers to them as this. It's almost like they, you know, they really picked it up around Mega Man 3. And then they kind of went too far with it for the later games. And it just they got, they just sort of run out of ideas and just spammed loads of different instrumentation in there. So this is still pure and it's still great. And I, I really, really like this one. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was always, I always would love to know. Uh, maybe there's interviews out there I could find, but like, I always find that when I'm looking up video game music, I could almost make entire lists from singular games. And what I'm guessing, is singular games or singular game series. And what I'm guessing is it's the it's the same composer for a lot of these <laughs> games. Like, is there just people that are talented at making like eight and sixteen bit music, or did they take it seriously in a way that other people didn't take it, or are they just talented in a way, or is it just personal taste? Do you think with these sort of things? Yeah, maybe it's just personal taste. I think a lot of the time, Mega Man seems like it's like it's always the one that people are going to uh, adapt into mm-hmm. like a metal version. Yeah, because so much of it feels rocking. Mm-hmm. Which, as you said earlier, you know when you when you're trying to think of. 8-bit music usually you're going to end up with that style of song where it's going to be fast paced it's going to have some kind of riff that you can almost squint and imagine being on the guitar yeah whereas doing slower versions i think it's probably because of the harshness of the sound chip that just makes a slower ballad type song harder to take because it just doesn't work yeah it's too high pitched to be relaxing Mm -hmm. and nice so they just kind of went all in on making everything really fast and punchy um so it looks like uh the lady's name is manami uh matsumei she did Mega Man one and two i don't know if takeshi tateishi did carried on from there i don't know who knows that's always funny as well like when you try and listen to a NES song that's happening while someone's playing it where it didn't have enough capability to play two high-pitched noises at once so half the song gets cut out if you're doing like if you listen to any of the old mario themes while someone's playing it if you collect any coins the music just stops and it's just baseline oh is it yeah uh speaking of mario songs actually we've got two mario songs coming up in our each uh each of our number three positions let's do your one first your one also uh moonlighted as a 1990s pop song um and it's uh, the overworld theme from Mario Land. Tell us why you like that one. I don't know why. Well, I, don't, I, I know why. It's because it's my favourite. But um, Mario has a long legacy of fantastic music in game design, obviously. But for some reason, the, the Game Boy <laughs> overworld theme for Mario Land is my favourite Mario song. I don't know why. Because it's, it's, it's quite unlike most Mario games as well. Like the actual gameplay. There's like alien ships and stuff in it and... There's like flying shoot 'em up sections in it. And yeah, stuff. it's a strange, yeah. strange game. But the that overworld music is just so happy and boppy. Like I just just puts a smile on my face every time I hear it.
yeah, absolutely. And, and I actually am a big fan of the uh, Ambassadors of Funk pop song as well. Oh, I don't know out. what that is. What's that? Oh, fuck it. I'm about to blow your fucking mind. Oh, yes. Oh, that's fantastic. What is this? I can't remember where this actually got to in the charts. Let me see. <laughs> it's so fucking 90s. It's just disgusting. That actually got to number eight in the UK charts. Oh, fantastic. In 1992. Well deserved. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Folks around my way think I'm crazy, but I've got to rescue Daisy. <laughs> fantastic. So so we're keeping that bolded for now, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd say so. And I, th well, I don't know. I don't know if this is a spoiler, but our top two games are both the same on this list. Um, so oh, I yeah. think... We're going to have to start cutting, unfortunately, um, soon because now we've got a top five. Maybe not in order. We have to discuss that. But what's your number three so we can have a discussion? Yeah. Uh, well, I think we should preface this as well by saying it's quite... Te well, not telling, but it's interesting that neither of us have actually got Mario 1 in here, which no. is like the iconic Mario song. But uh, maybe we're just tired of it. I don't I, know. I think perhaps that's that's... This wasn't. This isn't our the most iconic eight bit songs. This is our favorite. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've just heard this song so many times now that I don't know if it just has it has the effect on me. But also, I just yeah. think the, the songs. I honestly think the songs we've picked are better. Yeah, I definitely think Mario 2's music is better, which is why we're listening to it now. Right. this song like one of the things that i loved so much about it is when i, I realized that when you play it on the nez and you pause it all you get is the bass line for it and oh, the bass line in this either. is insane i keep I telling my friend chris that i want him to learn the bass line because it's just all over the place yeah it's so boppy and it's just like up and down this is for me like the happiest Mario song. This is the one that we were talking about before that sounds like it's being played on an old piano in a saloon. It does. Um, like a little rinky-dink piano. Yeah, I absolutely love this song as well. This almost, this almost made my list as well. Um, yeah, this was your honourable mention that we cut because it was going to get a yeah, proper mention here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, this is a fantastic song. And it's yeah, you're right. It's just... It does a good. I, th I, mean, I suppose it's deliberate as well because if you look at the the visuals for this game, it is all about the sort of old acting curtain yeah. coming down sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's great. Such a good song. Yeah. So at this point now, yeah, as you say, we've got we've got a top two, so we need we need three from five of the remaining. I mean, to be honest, I'm songs. happy to drop Punch Out um, for the same reasons that we dropped Donkey Kong. There's not much to it. 
it's quite yeah. a, quite a small loop. It's a, yeah, it's a bit cheeky calling it a song. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to drop that. It's had its time in the sun. Um, so I think the the next three should be. Is that it's got a three or have we got a four? We need, we need to cut another one. And I'm going to cut Snake Man from okay. uh, Mega Man 3 because you are a fan of Bloody Tears already. Um, and Bloody Tears is it's just a classic. Like, if you're talking to people, name game video game themes of any era, yeah. people are going to think of Bloody Tears before they think of, oh yeah, Snake Man, Mega Man 3. So, uh, yes, we'll cut Snake Man, which that leaves us with Bloody Tears from Castlevania 2, Mario Land, and Mario 2 overworld themes. So we haven't ordered them yet. Do you want to order them just now, or do you want to move I think on? I think we could probably agree that Bloody Tears goes in at number five. Sure. And then it's, it's preference over the Mario ones. Yeah, I mean, I could go either way, to be honest. My favourite song is Mario Land, but Mario Brothers 2 is an equally fantastic song, so... I tell you what, um, let's... the one, the one, the songs I'm actually passionate about, I think we fully agree on. So, yeah, I'm happy for Mario Brothers two to be number three in Overworld, Mario Land to be number four. So, right, let's go on to number two. You introduced me to this song, so I'll let you this, talk about why it's so great. I think overall, this is, I think, the best eight bit song ever made. But it's gonna, it's gonna end up being number two on our list just because my tastes have changed over the years. But this is uh, the Moon Level from Ducktales. good and i actually think it's like surprisingly good as well because i actually don't think the rest of the soundtrack in that game is really up to it it's just no it's not one, you're right it's inexplicably amazing they just like put all their if they were uh, assigning x like rpg points they put all their <laughs> rpg points into the moon level and had nothing left for the rest of it yeah and it's um, it's a standout i know they remade it so there's obviously a cult following for it but in my opinion it is like an absolute standout moment to a game that's actually quite mediocre. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yes. and, and needlessly difficult as well. Yeah, it's just such an odd, like, punch from left field. Like, just this epic song in a mediocre game surrounded by other mediocre music. I just don't understand really where it came from, which kind of adds to the magic a little bit for me a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, that the loop of it goes on for nearly a, a minute, yeah. which is quite unique for this list. It's probably one of the longest loops of any of the songs, but it's got so many different parts to it, and all of them are great. Mm -hmm. The intro is really nice and slow and soft, and then it just really kicks in. It's a proper song, then, yeah, it's so strange. Yeah, and then when it goes to the little bridge, I love the little bit in the bridge where it's got like that little, I don't even know what you call it. It's got like an accent on a bit of the music where it's like, da-da-da. That bit, that bit is. I love that bit. It's like a little. It's got like a little guitar slide yeah. or like a bended note in it. It's fantastic. Um, as you say, 
Not a great game, um, but an undeniably amazing piece of music. Yep. That, yeah, clearly everybody loves, including us. Speaking of songs that everybody loves, including us, the number one, as unexpectedly as it is, has to be Wily 1 from Mega Man 2. Because yeah, this is another one that's like a complete song in its own right. Yeah, yeah. Again, it just goes, oh, I wonder how long the loop is for that. I'm going to take a listen. I've been listening to them kind of in the background while we chat. Uh, let's play it and everyone else can listen to it as well. Here we go. one really has like a proper pacing to it it's just full on constant like the the bass line the way it's running like it's the most metal 8-bit song ever yeah it just sounds like an iron maiden song or something yeah and then the little um the little bridge sort of breakdown with a that's um yeah, it's such a feel-good song on such a... To be fair, actually, that level isn't really that difficult. It's probably a, quite a lot easier than most of the, the normal stages in that game. So yeah. it's less... You're you're feeling less hateful while you're actually playing it. <laughs> Which shouldn't come into the factor of, you know, it just being a good song or not. But in, in a way, it kind of does. Like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one is just, you know, you want to die while you're hearing it. And it's just like a light at the end of the tunnel. But this one... Yeah. Is, it, this, uh, is this my favourite NES game? It's, it's up there. This would again be in my top five anyway, mm-hmm. but but it's unquestionably yeah. the winner of our of our top five list. Yeah, so I think we've actually got the order now, haven't we? Yeah, we do, nice and easy, and not really any bloody tears trying to get the the list narrowed down to an order. So in, in number five, we've got bloody tears from Castlevania two. Number four, we've got Mario Land Overworld theme. Uh, number three, we've got the Mario Brothers two over Overworld theme. Did I say Overland theme? Mario Land <laughs> Overworld theme, number four. Yeah. Mario Brothers 2 Overworld theme at number three. We've got the Moon Level from DuckTales in at number two. And rounding off as Grand Champion, we have Wily 1 from Mega Man 2. Hell yeah. Which now... Nice and easy, as you said. Yes. Takes us on to the next top five list we have going on, which has to be top five games by UK developers. Are we doing that one, are we? Well, I feel like this is an Easter podcast. We've got to round off with the main event being... Yeah, we'll keep Jesus' resurrection till the end. Yeah, it's a bit like having the Royal Rumble as the the, 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 what, the, middle, the middle card. Yeah. <laughs> when the did Royal Jesus... 
Does Jesus die on Friday and come back on Monday? Is that what happened? <laughs> is today the resurrection day? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure either. I was about to sing a, was it a Shaggy song? What's the song? I can't remember now. I'm gonna to have to send it. I'll just send. I'll randomly send it to you. It's like I met a girl on Monday. Took no, that's Craig drink David. On Tuesday. <laughs> Got that's, crucified that's on David. Wednesday. <laughs> Slept on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Friday and Saturday. I came out of a cave on Sunday. <laughs> no, anyone that's not from the UK will have absolutely no idea what that song is. Which no, well they might. I don't know. Craig David probably had that one go. Stateside. That one of his good songs. That one of his. I was gonna say good songs. Not a good song. None of his songs are good songs. <laughs> Popular songs. Main mainstream songs. Anyway, I'm my... pretty sure he's on that fucking one of them KSI songs, isn't he? Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Lucky boy. What a dickhead. <laughs> if you were listening to this and you're a fan of KSI, stop listening. We don't want you here. <laughs> but do give us a rating on the way out, even if it's one star and says they insulted me personally through the <laughs> through my headphones we did insult you but you could at least tell everybody that on the way out some people might want that in their life yeah drunkenly shout how out of order yeah. we are and you're way out the door <laughs> yeah but anyway my one of my honorable mentions for top five games by uk developers is forza horizon 4 i, I realized when we were making this list and I, again i think this is something i'm recycling because i've already mentioned it to you but the UK actually have a surprisingly good pedigree for racing games. They really, really do. So, smashing um, it. Just to try and not just have a, a top, we could just do a top five list of racing games and probably be mainly UK developers. But for me, Forza Horizon 4, maybe partly recency bias, but this is just a fantastic game. It's a culmination of a series that, that I, I think we, we spoke about forza and the horizon sort of wing of the series stepping out from the shadow of the sort of mainline forza games and i think it had been doing it for a while but for me forza horizon 4 is the point where it just well and truly became the best the best forza game is forza horizon 4 Um, and it's got the uk in it and it's got my hometown edinburgh in it and i was going to say it deserves to be in this uk list because it it finally gave us the UK to play in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it does a good job, obviously, because they're from the UK, but every every sort of, I was going to call it a biome, That's we're not playing Minecraft, but every sort of section of the game, whether it's doing the, the Harry Potter Bridge or Edinburgh or like the little quaint English towns. Yeah. They don't do it. They don't exactly, obviously, mirror the real places, but they are close enough to so that they feel real and authentic yeah 100 percent. and it's just a game that i remember we played it pre-release in germany and it was a game that just instantly put a smile on my face and it continues yeah. to do so to this day oh that um yeah that demo that they gave out fantastic. was fantastic absolutely fantastic. yeah really cleverly done where mm-hmm. it, it actually offers you an experience of the game you will never get playing the actual game yeah it's a truly unique moment where the seasons are going to change as you're moving along through one long sort of race which yep. um yeah, it was really, really effective. It's a fantastically um, constructed demo and, and just yeah. showing you what the game has to offer, the different bits and pieces that it can offer. And I, I know they're glorified time trials, but I actually really enjoy the special events in the Forza Horizon 4. So like when you're racing as the Warthog or you're yeah. you're racing a you're racing a train at one point or there's the hovercraft yeah. you're racing yeah. and the air, the the fighter jet you, you race at one point in one of them. It, they're just really, really well done. Yeah, they are. They're very, very cool. Yeah. Um, just the main thing, I guess, we found out is don't ever play it co-op. No. 
because you can't rewind anymore and it becomes a really, really difficult game. Yeah. But yeah, but, definitely um, deserves an honourable mention. Alex, what you got up? Um, it was Rebellion games that we're talking about. No, well, sorry, it wasn't. It was Playground games. Oh, oh the for developers. the developer. Yeah, sorry. Apologies. Glad you were on the ball. Yeah, so my one, yeah, keeping with the racing theme, we've got Sumo Digital's uh, racing game, uh, which was basically, um, I think it started off in the arcades with OutRun 2, uh, and then they brought out OutRun 2006 Coast to Coast, and they later did the arcade version, like it was a mix of everything on the 360, which is the version I've played, but I also do, I did retrospectively buy Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast. It is just like the sunniest, most feel-good, fun arcade racer I think there is around. Playing it in the arcade is also fantastic because the game is so centered around drifting as fast as you can around corners that you're swinging your arms about like an absolute yeah. maniac. And as you saw earlier when you were, I think you must have been watching a video of it, um, you've got your girlfriend in your Ferrari with you. Yep. Um, she gives out love hearts uh, every time you overtake people, and she, you know, falls for you even more. Um, just a game series that, if you play the original Outrun, I don't actually find that very fun to play. Um, oh really? That they, they've, I think it's been in almost every Yakuza game. Yeah. Uh, and that one I find really difficult. Um, graphically, it looks pretty good. And there is drifting involved in it, but this one really just sort of pushed it straight up to 11 um, and really kind of honed in on the fact that you're going to have to just keep drifting and going as fast as possible. It does look so, fun. Where, do you, where can you get a hold of this game? I don't know if it's still available for you to get on the Microsoft Store. It might be backwards compatible. I don't know if it is. Uh, you may have to just go straight to the PS2 one and get mm. that which is this Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast, which was sort of the original home console version of the the arcade game. Um, there's not a lot of substance to it. There are some, I think on the arcade one on 360, there's definitely some bonus things you can do. There's like a, uh, uh, almost like an obstacle course where you've got to keep inside of cones as you drift to get scores. Um, but mainly we're always talking about just the arcade version where you are picking your route to try and get to the end before you run out of time and there's about four or five different routes you can go by the end so there's quite mm. a lot of tracks or, or parts to the main track um the hardest version is very very hard and you probably will run out of time so there's not a lot of substance to the game which is probably why it won't make the final five mm. it's really just an arcade game at heart but one of my favorite arcade games ever your next honourable mention, uh, is that Signosis that made that one? So I, I was Googling that as you were speaking, and it's a, it's a British company called Core Design made um, Tomb Raider for the PlayStation. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a game that actually, if we're talking, if we're recommending to people games to play, the OG Tomb Raider would not be on the list. It's obtuse, it's hard, like the platforming is just not fun, the shooting's not good by today's standards, but no. it's a really iconic video game. So yes. um I think it's 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 worth a mention just because of how big a franchise and how important to video games Lara Croft Lara Croft was. I was looking at Core Design as a company and the last game they re released was in 2007. So they must be defunct now, but it was a game called Free Running for the PSP, which I'm currently watching gameplay of. Um so you're welcome to look at that. Um yeah, it's a uh, it's a yeah, uh, defunct in 2010. 
but 2010 it's a game that i enjoy, uh, had a lot of uh, a lot of fun playing as a kid and it it really sparked and sort of personifies the the punk feel that playstation were going to in the era that the game was released with lara croft and her massive chebs and tiny waist and yeah it <laughs> i'm was... glad we've got chebs on a podcast yeah. finally <laughs> such a great word and yeah, it was it's it is what it is. It's not great by today's standards, but it's certainly iconic. What about you, Alex? What have you got next? Oh well, let's just yeah. So just briefly, it looks as if IDOS maintained the uh, Tomb Raider license, and they were mixed in with like the Crystal Dynamics guys. By the look of it, okay. What for the OG Tomb Raider? No, 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 sorry. This is when they went defunct. This is when Core Design kind of... Oh, right, okay. So they've just been rebranded, in a way. So it looks as if... Okay, so according to Wikipedia, Tomb Raider, the Angel of Darkness in 2003, they then stripped the license. Yeah, so Eidos stripped them of the Tomb Raider license and gave it to Crystal Dynamics. And then that prompted members of Core Design to leave and establish a new company called Circle Studio. What have they have done created with themselves? Some fucking wank. Um, oh, they make DVD games. Oh, oh gross. No. <laughs> Including such absolute smash hits as British hit singles and albums. Discovery Kids, Killers of the Wild, Eurosport, Total Sports Quiz. Now that's what I call a music quiz and their all-time classic Shrek, Totally Tangled Tales. Oh no. Which is a shame because one thing I was going to bring up earlier is that the UK has, I guess it's easy to forget, um, but has created so many of the most iconic games mm-hmm. in the in the, in the industry. Yeah. Uh, obviously there's you know Japan has done way more but as we continue to go through this there's going to be so many like huge franchises that we created and Tomb Raider love it or hate it was massive. She was I mean she was everywhere. They made movies of it. She was on yeah. you know actual Lara Croft and her polygonal tits was on like women's magazines or whatever it yeah. was or playboy maybe yeah um so yeah as you say tomb raider was was it enormous yes yeah, I, I always wonder if it's, it must just be that so during the time that sort of the nez was coming to the fore and the atari was ripping through the us they had like there was a real like niche but sizable community of like homebrew developers that sprouted up in the uk under like the bbc yeah. micro and the is it the amiga which, maybe the, that, maybe the um, ZX Spectrum as well. In the ZX Spectrum, yeah, and I just think like from that has sprouted so many talented companies and people that have created so many unbelievably seminal games for the games industry, yeah, uh, which which we'll get to as as we sort of churn through a list. Yeah, and we can move on now to to Rare, who are going to spoiler alert are going to have more than one. Um, <laughs> Mention in this list. Um, first, my last honourable mention goes to Donkey Kong Country, and really the entire series. You could pick any any one of them. Um, yeah. One, I think maybe Donkey Kong Country Two is probably the best game of all of them. But Donkey Kong Country was so, I guess it was pretty revolutionary for for what it did on the SNES hardware at a time when the PlayStation was in existence, yeah, or at least very close to release. Mm-hmm. Um, it really 
boosted the lifespan of the snares while Nintendo was working on the N64 um, and kept interest in in the company and in their what they were doing. Um, I mean, it's not just a good looking game, though. I think it's people seem to there seems to be a lot of hate for it in in hindsight where people seem to think that the game sucks and is just not a good platformer but yeah i completely disagree with that um yes it does look amazing it does have these sort of crazy graphics that were different to anything else on the system but i love the the barrel levels where you've got to kind of time the button presses to shoot to the right barrel i like that even the minecart levels are fun they're they're frustrating but really fun Mm -hmm. and this game obviously gets really hard as you go through it but the animal riding stuff where you get the different animal friends like the rhino and the ostrich um, are great. It has some great music, obviously, because it's rare and they always have good music. Um, again, I don't hate the underwater levels in this either, which I think you were, we were mentioning off air earlier on about you want to find games that have underwater levels that aren't terrible. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would plump for Donkey Kong Country as one of them as well yeah absolutely um it's not going to make the list purely because that i feel there are better games or at least games that have more of a place in my heart yeah than donkey kong country but they i mean to take a series that clearly nintendo wanted nothing to do with and be given a nintendo a huge nintendo license that really the company built their gaming presence on anyway because donkey kong in the arcades was their first huge hit to admit they weren't do- planning to do anything with it and give it to a british developer who knocked it out of the park um, is is really impressive work. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Which brings us if, to our top five, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm sticking with the rare theme is your number five. Yes, um, Goldeneye is in there just because it's Goldeneye, man. What a game that was. It was the game that I sold my PlayStation to get an N64 yeah. for. <laughs> nice. Um, I played this game so much as a kid, just rerunning levels over and over again, unlocking cheats, trying to do... Because they, they encouraged, like... It's one thing I forget. I was going to say people forget, but they might not. It's just me. Um, that it wasn't just a fun game, and it wasn't just a, a game that was important for first-person shooters on consoles. It was a game that encouraged a great deal of replayability. I.e., yeah. the harder difficulties you played it on were obviously harder, but as you went up difficulties, they added in missions, which is it's in my head today is just it's really amazing it's really great a really great thing to do just to like rather than just purely ramp up the difficulty yeah yeah ask the player to do more and then on top of that they also had you could unlock cheats to make the game fun to mess about with and to do that you had to do levels on particular difficulties in particular um time limits which then brought you back to playing the game again end up with a different eye i.e trying to smash through a level as quickly as possible which brought a new dynamic and then there's the multiplayer aspects of the game i remember buying the n64 magazine with my pocket money every month religiously so that i could there was a section in one of them and i i I need to find out because you'll probably have pdf versions of this now yeah somewhere um every month they would introduce like ways to play goldeneye so it would be like here's a multiplayer game here's here's a game that we've made up yeah, for, yeah, yeah, and you could go away and, and play with your friends on these different game modes that people had invented to play with their friends. Um, and I, yeah, I, I was also at the time Goldeneye came out, I was just become becoming a young adult, I suppose, just like hitting puberty. And I absolutely loved James Bond. He was, <laughs> I absolutely loved him as a kid. And Goldeneye was just like hit me at the right time. That, yeah. that not only does the N64 game have a a really soft spot in my heart but also the movies as well so yeah that's why it's there and i think it deserves to be there 
Yeah, I think I mainly omitted it because having recently been playing the leaked 360 remaster, mm. as well as remembering, like, as well as feeling really great about the fact that I could remember like where the body armor should be, and like I know, as yeah. you said, I've replayed the level so many times that it just it's like the back of my hand. Um, the one thing I did forget about Gold Knight is that it is some bullshit. Like <laughs> you you play it on. I mean, Secret Agent's pretty tough, but Double O Agent, I gave up on that on the bunker level where there seems to just be an infinite number of enemies. You can oh, just really? stand in one room. You basically have to... It's the one where you use your watch magnet to pull the key to the cell to break out. Oh, yeah. And then you've got to punch the guy and you grab his gun and all you can get is a, a K7 Soviet, which is an automatic gun. And the game is set so that if you use those guns enemies will hear you and will come after you. So I think what you're supposed to do, apparently, what I read in a guide is you have to just basically get headshots with it and only shoot like one tap of the trigger. If you hold the trigger down, all the enemies in the entire base, which, as I said, is an infinite number, will continually just run. You can stand in the first room and they will just keep... There'll be 10 of them stood at the door over and over and over again. And you only get 10 bullets for picking up weapons on that hardest difficulty. So... (laughs) You're basically like just chewing through wave after wave of enemies mm-hmm. who will kill you in about four or five hits and getting no ammo to carry on shooting them. I just remember horrible. For some reason, when you mentioned the watch, that reminded me there's a bit, another thing that used to blow my mind about this game is that when you encounter the bad guys at the end of train and you're rescuing Natalia, if you, you, can, you can shoot and kill Xenia. At yes, that you moment, can, and then she doesn't appear in later levels as a boss. Yeah, she's in the jungle one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, so you can make the game easier for yourself by killing her right there and then. The other thing is, I'm I'm now forgetting. Do you remember when we were doing podcasting before? I think it was a Game of Thrones podcast. There's a ROM of a game on every version of Goldeneye. Oh yeah. Can you remember what that game is? Oh, uh, it might be some jet pack something or other. Oh, I think you're. I think it's linked to the rare replay. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it is. I can't get over the fact that that there was a fully playable, basically complete version of GoldenEye made by Rare for Microsoft to go on the 360 until Nintendo suddenly got wind of it and said, "There's no way you're let, we're letting a Nintendo game go on your system," and they scrapped it. <laughs> but they got that far through it without without anybody having the balls to go to Nintendo and be like, "Please, sir." <laughs> can we have a can we make this game i think if that was now it might actually be all right yeah because if you think of i mean it's more been the other way around hasn't it whereas microsoft has kind of gifted the olive branch of cross-platform to nintendo maybe they wouldn't maybe they still wouldn't let you put it out on xbox but i don't know they did perfect dark afterwards so i'm not sure why they had such a big issue with Goldeneye. Um, but it's definitely worth tracking down just to to play again because it is an absolute classic. It's just I forgot how hard it is mm-hmm. and how weirdly designed it is with the way enemies just swamp you. There's one of the surface levels as well where even with your PP7, as soon as you walk around a corner, they just keep running at you. Like for the whole level, you're being chased by guards. And then at one point, you just have to tell yourself, I'm going to stop this because... It's a waste of my time and bullets to just keep turning around and shooting the 10 blokes running around after me. If I keep running, they eventually just stand still and stop. 
and then more will replace them. It's bizarre. Really weird game design. Yeah, absolutely. My number five is kind of like a exhumation of the ghost of GoldenEye as it was done by Free Radical Design, who were a lot of the guys who did originally work on GoldenEye. And this game I'm talking about is Time Splitters 2, which is one of my favorite multiplayer games ever. I used to play this split screen all the time with my two friends and just destroy them at it. Um, the single player too was really cool. It took you all across the world as far yep. as I can remember, different time uh, periods. Uh, a game series that I think everyone is sad to have seen die in Time Splitters 4 never came out. Yeah. The first game in the series was nothing to speak about really, uh, but Time Splitters 2 is where it really kicked into gear. And it really did feel like the the evolution of the GoldenEye Perfect Dark games from Rare in the modern era at the time. Um, I absolutely love that game, and I always will. It still plays brilliantly right now. I'm going to have to go back to this one, because I also remember loving it. The other standout memory I have of it is, I think, again, this came up on an older Winners You podcast back in the day, because I think your question was, if you, could, if you were going to go professional at any video game ever, <laughs> what would it be? And my answer was Time Splitters 2 because the, the mini games um were really good fun and there was a, a mini game where you could drive a cat that had been taxidermied and put on trolley wheels <laughs> around on ice. And there was <laughs> online leaderboards for that and I think I came I managed to get in twelfth on the world leaderboard for, oh, wow. for my time attack with this taxidermied cat. That is like Amazing. one of one of my peak moments in video games. Um but yeah, that was I absolutely loved this game as well. I'm going to have to go back to it. Maybe maybe if it's not too long, we can add it to our to our game club list one day and get it. Won't get it won't be done. too long, I don't think, because I think it's 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 an absolutely fantastic experience. Yeah, definitely. You can get that on um, Dolphin Emulator. You're gonna have a really good time. Yeah. So I guess we'll keep them both just now. Um, but I think we've got a tough discussion coming up for those. We really ones. do. Um, GTA Five is my number four. I put it on here just like it's an obvious game and it's a massive game, but I, I kind of don't want to direct the conversation towards how much money the game has made over the years because that's been, <laughs> that's been done to death by now. And fr- frankly, like how much money a private company makes that I have no access to is of no interest to me. But what I did enjoy about this game is I think like if you look back over GTA games, um, you can see them really learning their chops in terms of storytelling and creating something that obviously went from like the OG top-down PS1 and PC Grand Theft Auto yeah. game, which was just, yeah. which is essentially just an arcade game, really, into yeah. this fully-fledged like story epic that is darkly comedic. It's got commentary to make on society and things in the current affairs at the time. And also, like 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 the storytelling in which I spoke about before, and in which well, this one they they have three main characters that all have their own stories to them, and then they they sort of build a narrative that again, repeating myself from a previous conversation with Alex, they they try and address the ludo narrative dissonance that you have from essentially controlling a player who the the player the controlling a character who the player is meant to sort of relate to and have sympathetic feelings for whilst at the same time they're creating and perpetrating horrific acts of murder like flying down the Hmm. street mowing down pedestrians and it just sort of pales and no one ever mentions it whereas they created trevor in this who is who is just 
an absolute lunatic and he creates a way for the character to or the player to go away and do their crazy things and then also come back and then complete the story modes and side missions in a way that does make sense because Trevor truly is insanity personified and I I found that I really liked the dynamics between the three characters. I think is it Franklin? Um, he's the guy that comes from the ghetto. Um, he yes. he does fall off a cliff a little bit because it feels like they get about halfway through the story and then they're not sure what to do with him, so they just uh-huh. sort of abandon him. But the other two, uh, Michael and Trevor, have a really great arc in their own right. Uh, tr- Michael's obviously trying to come to terms with his crimes of the past and then trying to get out of it and then getting dragged back in. But he's also got a bit of a loony streak about him. And then yeah. Trevor, who is just all about that life and has no interest in leaving it behind. And he just wants pure chaos. Um, <laughs> Which he's always involved in when yeah. you switch to him as well. I love that. You switch to see what Trevor's up to and he'll just be in some car yeah. chase shootout. And it's, it's again, it's a tried and tested thing with GTA games and like really well-worn paths now. But like, this more than any other the other other GTA games have done scale on a bigger on obviously on a bigger scale that was a stupid sentence but they've they've uh, they've approached scale but this one really does like you, like when you can go underwater in a submarine or you can go off into the mountains or there's or there's like cities that actually feel like cities it it creates a world that is just complete in my mind which they yeah. then go on like regardless of what people think about it they then go on to build on world on the world and existing in a world in red dead 2 but up until gta 5 came along this the the creation of that world was just unlike anything that i'd seen and people have rarely seen since other than other rockstar games and it's just yeah yeah what a feat even like things down to the load times being relatively small for the size of the game moving between characters or yeah yeah or think like the game still looks okay still looks pretty good today it's, it's not an ugly game by any means or no. then remember the first person mode they released after yeah afterwards yeah, it was also fully playable like yeah this is just some some achievement and it's just it's to me it's just a shame that gta online became the behemoth it was i don't get me wrong i had a lot of fun with gta online but what i come to gta is for the single player and yeah we may not yeah. see it again which is a shame yeah, that is a shame. So that's my number four. Alex, tell me about Sensible Soccer. <laughs> Sensible Soccer is probably my... It, it, I'd say it kind of crisscrosses my beginning to love football and video games kind of at the same time. So it came out around a time sort of around 94, 95, where I was getting into football, um, just starting to follow it properly watching match of the day knowing who the players were or whatever and then this game came along that is almost completely timeless because it's so simple to play uh yeah so it was developed obviously by sensible software in chelmsford as well in essex which is where my wife uh lived when i first met her um I see here that they only ever had six employees and apparently Sensible World of Soccer, according to Wikipedia, was the only European developed game entered into the game canon, a list of 10 video games created by Stanford University for preservation by the Library of Congress, which is amazing to think that Sensible Soccer is in Congress's Library of Preservation. Yeah. Um, What what was this on? What console? I played this this on the Amiga. I'm sure it would have been on Commodore 64 as well. Yeah. Um, but things I remember specifically are the fact that you could basically score 
from like the halfway line if you were able to basically almost break your joystick in half trying to swerve you could put ridiculous swerve on this you basically you you get the, the the computer would take a shot your keeper would save it and hold it you'd do a big kick in the air by holding backwards on the stick then you'd get one of your midfielders to do a diving header on the ball as it bounced and head it straight up to your striker and then you would just try and score a curled shot into the top corner from about 40 <laughs> yards um, you could change the names of all the players. So every year I would go on there and update them to the current Tottenham squad or all the Premier League squads, really. Then I probably would go outside and play, replay the games out in my back garden with an actual football because I was like nine. So leave me alone. Um, just You still do it. This is like, yeah, this is like one of my seminal obsessions in life where I just could not stop playing sensible soccer. I absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> They re-released it on the 360, I think, and it, it's mm. so hard. The game, like the players, do not control the ball at all. It's just like bounces off their shins constantly. But I absolutely love it. It's um, I don't know if I I would probably be happy to cut it because it's more of like a personal childhood memory for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are better games in this list, but it deserved a mention from me because it was such a big part of my young life. Yeah. Let's hear about your... So I'll cut that now, actually. Get it out of the way. Okay. So let's hear about your number three. So I I have got a big, big soft spot for the Fable games. And I was thinking through the Lionhead Studios uh, list of Fable games and like which ones do I like the best. And I think Fable 2 is probably the one I've got the fondest memories of. It's the one in which you get a dog and yeah. you... Oh, it's essentially just a companion for the game. He's, he goes and, f- or the dog will go off and find like bits of treasure for you and health packs and things like that. But um, essentially the game tries to, tries and largely fails like the story <laughs> for Peter Molyneux um, overall. But because it was a dog, I've just got an instant attachment to it. But Did you have yeah, a dog at the time? I don't think you did, did you? Uh, Fable 2, when did that come out? Yeah, this is 2008, Fable 2. Oh, so no, I wouldn't have had a dog at the time. Yeah, and the other thing that it does, so basically you've got a companion that lives with you through the whole game, and then there's there's something that happens in that game where you end up, spoilers, you end up essentially going missing for a period of about a decade, and then when you come back to the game, a huge amount of time has passed, and they've redone some of the world, and the characters that you knew before had obviously either got old and died or got older, um, and you're trying to sort of get to grips with this new world that has a- appeared in front of you that um, is very because cool. of what's happened to you. And it's just really, really cool. There's little nuggets of stuff that Fable 2 does that it's, it's whimsically British, which I think is the thing that people like to describe British humour as, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny and quaint and heartwarming in a way that most RP- uh, that, that a lot of other RPGs try and go for grit and dark and dinginess but this is happy just to be a sort of fun whimsical is probably the best way i can think of even when it comes to like the doors like the magic doors and things you can open to get loot and things behind um that intersperse with some amazing ideas that peter molyneux has had over the years but maybe not always carried off or over promised on yeah um and yeah so like is as much as I can, I, I wonder if this ultimately doesn't stay, but 
it's it's much like you have a sensible soccer fable 2 has got a real a real soft spot in my heart from it and i'm very very fond of the series and it's a shame that it's gone missing for so long and as excited as i am for it to be coming back whenever we see it again i'm also worried because it's it's no longer what it was and trying to will they recapture that i'm not sure but yeah that's that's fable 2 for me okay so my number three is another rare game it is uh, one of my earliest... Well, I got it at the launch of the N64. Well, when I got my N64 for the Christmas, the year it came out in the mm-hmm. UK, I got this game with it. I played it quite recently for one of its anniversaries and finally managed to complete it, in inverted commas. I'm talking about Diddy Kong Racing, which for me is easily my favourite kart racing game of all time. Um, this is another one of those ones where I, that I just got utterly obsessed with as a kid. I mean... The N64 had so many great games on it. GoldenEye, as we've already mentioned, being one of them. Um, and this is just another one, like GoldenEye, where I played it. There's so much repetition of it that I just remember everything about it. And mm-hmm. I love the music. I love all the courses. I love the power-ups. Uh, even though they're very basic. with boss battles. It's yeah. And I just find so entertaining. Yeah, and I just still, I still cannot believe that with the immense library and history and level of characters that nintendo has in its back pocket so to speak um that they haven't done that with any of the mario kart games that they've never looked at diddy kong racing's adventure mode and thought why don't we have a giant open world to drive around with different kart types and bosses and themed work why don't why have they never done that they've just Mm. decided to rigidly stick to making mario kart just with a Grand Prix mode and a multiplayer mode, and that's it. Yep. And that is why I love Diddy Kong Racing so much, is that it's it's unique. I know Crash Team Racing did that as well, I believe afterwards. So they yeah. obviously followed that formula, and I know there's a lot of love for that game as well. Um, but for me, this is, yeah, this is just the ultimate fun kart racing game. I just love it. It is. It is. I think it's my favourite kart racing game. Um yeah, it's just a, it's just another nice fun fun game, isn't it? Yeah, we've um we've got an agreement on our top two, and at the moment, if we're cutting Fable Two and Sensible Soccer, we've got four left, so we need to cut one of the four. So I've been thinking about this while you've been speaking, and if we're talking about either cutting, <sighs> I guess I could I could admit that Time Splitters Two was more of an updated take on the formula that GoldenEye itself made. Well, so yeah, so to build on what I was I was thinking, like if, if we assume, and we don't necessarily have to assume that GTA is the one that survives of these three that we're talking about, um, but and but like what I was thinking about going for, like depend, and, and I I'm happy to go either way on this list. If if this is a top five list that you want to be able to put forward and recommend to players today, then I think Time Splitters Two probably makes the list. Okay. But if we're talking about importance to games, I think GoldenEye is more important than Time Splitters Two. Hmm. So it depends what you want this list to stand for. Would be my rather than argue about each game individually because let's they yeah they're both first person shooters but they're hard to compare really yeah um rather than compare it's really what we want this list to be. Um, I would say maybe, maybe go for the argument that this is a list that we can top five game. I mean, 
top five games that we would recommend to players to go go out and play today because every other game on this list is fun to play today and it's part of the reason that Tomb Raider didn't make the top five yeah is because it's it's no good so I, I I mean in that regard I'd be happy to cut Goldeneye with a heavy caveat that it's being cut because it's 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 not a mo- it's just not a modern game and it is the number two licensed game of all time and we've already awarded so yes it's not like we're not we haven't given it its due anyway no okay, okay. Nice. let's, let's, do, let's it. do that and i also think as much as i love diddy kong racing i feel like gta 5 has got to go to number three really with sure if you're talking about the most successful british uh-huh. games then i mean gta 5 has to be higher yeah I mean, it's one of the most well, maybe apart from Minecraft, it's maybe in in Fortnite these days. It's maybe one of the most successful games of all time. Yeah, exactly. But well, also behind Worms, which unfortunately didn't get a mention in our list, so I'm mentioning it now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's been mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we really need to talk too much about the number two game because that again was in our licensed games chat. Yeah. So if you want to hear us talk about Batman: Arkham Asylum, go listen to that one. Um, but I mean, I'm a huge Batman fan, uh, and this is, I think, in agreement most of the industry is now. This is the best of the Rocksteady Batman games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think we called it at the time. I, yeah. I'm going I'm to forever toot the, the Gamertron. I wouldn't use you horn for that, yeah. calling that at the time. But yeah, it's, it's a great game that creates atmosphere and foreboding in in a way that we hadn't seen before in superhero games. And yeah. it... it it afforded this superhero of Batman the respect and effort that it deserved. And up to that point, we hadn't really seen in games. They had all just been farted out licensed games for the most part. Yeah. And it, yeah, it had the, it had the guts to stand on its own story. Um, it tapped into what Batman had become in, in the movies at the time. So it maintained the topical state that the franchise was in for the mass audience. But also developed its own story, um, yeah. and paid a lot of reverence to Batman historically as well. But it's like the ultimate superhero game for me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Well deserving. It's number yes. two place. Uh, Which means our winner is going to be Banjo Kazooie. What yes. a game that is! That is still awesome. It definitely would not make my list of games that are fun underwater sections. That's not. <laughs> oh it doesn't God. Well underwater, but apart from that. It is a fantastic formula of a game that we don't see enough of anymore. And when we do, it's largely disappointing. Yeah. This is still one of the best ones of the lot, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we kind of touched on that when we did the worst games from good franchises. We talked about Banjo because they're nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, we don't need to go too in-depth in this one, but I've always found, e- even at the time and i certainly feel even more strongly about it now that this game for me is much more enjoyable even on a, in a modern setting than super mario 64 which is the yeah. 3d platformer everybody thinks about when they talk about the n64 but for me this one had so much more character it had so much more wit um it was more interesting to sort of make your way around because it wasn't just level after level it had a proper open world not open yep. world but you know what i mean yep um and you could sort of tackle the levels all in one go. You could get all the jigsaw pieces 
one after another rather than coming in and out of the level. So it felt more mm. modern at the time in the way of delivering that to players. And I would much rather play this game today than Mario 64. Absolutely. This is still a fun game to play. Um, Mario 64 is not, I think. It's, uh, no, yeah, I don't know exactly. if that's controversial or not, but I don't think it is. No, um, having played it on the 3D All-Stars thing, I completely agree with that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, this is just a fantastic game. You're right in every respect. It's it's designed well. Even it's, it's one of these things, again, it's timeless. It's still designed well. It's still fun to play. The challenges are still fun to do. Um, the writing is great. Yep. The Even the even the way that they they got around not having voice acting with the noises of the characters yep. is, is funny it's not it doesn't come off as annoying as i think it would be too easy to do in doing the not and if you i don't know how to explain it just google the noises if you don't know what just google some of the cutscenes in that yeah. game and you'll know what i mean yeah. um yeah it's funny and again it, it taps into that whimsical britishness that i think is is a is unique to the uk shores and yes. Um, it does it very well and it's still a fun fun game to play and it does so well like the variety in challenges as well is fantastic so like yeah. there's like finding the jigsaws there's turning yourself into an ant then there's like the, like there's a collecting stuff that it's just there's so such a good wide there's puzzles in each level there's just yep. such a wide range of things to do and yep. you touched on it as well in the, the the sort of overworld that's fun to move around in i wouldn't say that's necessarily true of mario 64 it's just a bunch of rooms with paintings in it for the yeah, most part exactly with the odd bit in it whereas this is just littered with interesting things to explore and investigate and yeah. come back to at a later date yeah yeah it's got a bit of a metroidvania thing going for it as well mm-hmm. hasn't it with the you learn moves that you can then use in late in previous levels or to get Absolutely. around the yep. the overworld it's a nice way of gating off your progress by well you can't get up this high yet so you need the whatever move is mm-hmm. um yeah fantastic i would play that till the day i die exactly which brings us to the end of the top five alex give us a run rundown of our final final standings okay uh so our top five games by uk developers at number five we have time splitters 2 from free radical games at number four we have diddy kong racing from rare number three we have gta 5 from rockstar north number two we've got arkham asylum from rocksteady and number one another rare game we have banjo kazooie that's a good top five. I'm happy with that. Me too. And now we're we're back to the we're at the main event. This is the happy the Easter WrestleMania everybody. title fight. This is the Royal Rumble of the podcast. This brings us to the top five video game Easter eggs. Okay. So I, I, since I've only got one, I'm just going to dive in. Oh, and I'll, I'll go to... first then, and then we'll, we'll even it out then. If I start, okay. we'll sandwich yours in the middle. So we'll get my first Same one out of the sandwich. way quickly because uh, yes, that's later. Uh, we will get it out of the way nice and easy with in perfect dark there's a bit of cheese somewhere that apparently may have started to be a collectible but didn't <laughs> end up that way so only one okay. level has one bit of cheese and that's it it's just a bit of cheese and can you collect the cheese no you can't it's behind a grate you can't you can't get it uh, a grate like what kind of like a cheese grater or that would be even cooler let me, let me see if i can explain it yeah it's, yeah, it's in some like uh, you know behind a little that's weird grate in a wall. You you can't touch it. You can't grab it. It's just it's just it's just there in a, one of these buildings. Um, yeah, they apparently planned to have them as collectibles. That they scrapped the idea but left the cheese in. But there's only one bit of cheese. No, sorry, nice. there is a bit of cheese on every level. Sorry, I take it oh, back. Oh, there's cheese everywhere. Yeah, there's cheese everywhere. <laughs> so it's better than I thought. But you can't <laughs> touch the cheese and you can't collect the cheese. 
It's a lesson for life. Don't touch the cheese. Yeah, don't <laughs> leave the cheese alone. So let's, uh, yeah, right. Go on, and your 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 honourable mention. Take the other filling, yeah, the filling to the sandwich. Um, I've <laughs> I've opted for my honourable mention being I've just written rage, doom. So they have put the first level of doom into rage behind a secret wall. There's a bunch of secret walls in rage that you can find that yeah have, that have got little like nods to different stuff i'm sure there's a fallout one in there somewhere as well i but think the there one, is yeah yeah the one i like is um is doom you go into into your secret wall and you are transported with your your at the time f- fully hd gun model and hand model uh to run around the doom world with the music playing um there's no enemies in it i don't think but yeah the music starts playing and you can just run around it's great really well done and it's fun. Yeah, you're right. That has so much stuff. It's got Quake in it. It's got uh, Wolfenstein 3D. That's right. Bolt Boy Bubblehead. That's right. Yeah, they absolutely smashed the id influences into that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. My next one is another quick one. Uh, in the Star Wars, The Force Unleashed, the original one, there is um, Jar Jar Binks encased in Carbonite on a wall. The best place for him. Absolutely deserved. Uh, and uh, more foreshadowing for later events where games have put in commentaries about the films that they are representing or other films uh, that I guess the general populace of fandom would agree with. And in this case, most of all of us can agree Jar Jar Binks is total shite. And it's the most annoying person yeah, it's pathetic. ever been. It's an utterly terrible character. And yeah, that was a definite nod to the, what the general... I mean, Star Wars Force Unleashed is trying to be a bit of a badass game anyway, isn't it? It's like, here's for the real yeah. Star Wars fans who want to kill all the the Ewoks and stuff and little kids in the Wookiee forest. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. What are they doing in later Star War, later new Star Wars movies making Jar Jar? And, like, they turn him into like a semi-serious character don't he? he becomes a politician yes and he walks around all smartly and doesn't like get his head stuck in things do you i mean do you not think that that was incredible sort of prophetic <laughs> foretelling of modern politicians i mean they we saw, had jar jar binks in like 2004 and, and then we had trump and boris johnson in 2020 so <laughs> you're saying boris johnson and trump are just jar jar binks is in suits yeah i am <laughs> I am indeed saying that. The sooner they get encased in carbonite, the better. I'm loving that perfect dark cheese. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, right, let's move on. Maybe to the- if we ever have a shop, we can we can sell perfect dark cheese. Oh yeah, on the shop. That would be great. And but but we can't actually sell it. To to in keeping with the game, we just have yeah. to display it, but no one can ever touch it or buy it. Yeah, or obtain yeah, yeah. It. We'll take we'll take um without taking people's money, of course, we'll take pre orders, i.e. you can register <laughs> your interest. Register your interest in some cheese. That'll never come out. Yeah. Uh oh right. I've seen you've snuck another one in there that I don't think I remember. But your number five is you've got Batman Arkham Asylum. What is the Easter egg in that? So I think it's yeah, I think this would be classed as an Easter egg. Essentially they have uh an Easter egg that that without telling people tells people about the next game. So they have a map in a in a room where you can see what is essentially the map for Bark Barkman Barkman Batman <laughs> Arkham uh, Barkman 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 Atman Bar- Asylum Batman 
Arkham City, um, and it basically tells you the location for the next game um, and has a bit of lore about how it might happen. Um, Super cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I think Batman, the Batman games do a good job of little things like that because I added that. So to let you you see behind the curtain, Alex and I have got a list where if either of us come up with an idea for a top five, we smash it onto this list so that when we're coming up with top five shows we sort of look through the list and then pick the ones we fancy to do and i added one here that was um what let me make sure i've got the anti-piracy measures because batman arkham game has one if you pirate the game he has no cloak and there's an area of the games of the games that you can't get to without using his glide ability and <laughs> they had them they had apparently they had a lot of people phoning up to complain about their game being bugged because they, batman had no cloak Oh dear. Just admitting to your theft, yeah. Not expecting, yeah, expecting some kind of resolution is is ludicrous. Yep. So yep, that's it. Batman and it for it foreshadows Batman Arkham City. I think that's her. really really cool. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I mean, everything in that we're going to be pretty much talking about here is going to be a either something either really stupid or a reference to something from the past. Mm-hmm. None of them are going to reference the future that hasn't even happened at the time it's in the game that's just astounding. yeah exactly they do that and there are bits and pieces that they do that from time to time so when you're going through arkham arkham asylum in the game proper there are like is it illusions at calendar man there's illusions yeah. to him where you would come across in a later game so there's a lot of a lot of nods to other bosses and i guess they're less easter eggs and more nods to batman as a franchise yeah. as a whole because these are existing characters not necessarily saying that these guys are going to pop up in later games um but yeah it's cool very cool um my number five is another really short one um it's pretty much in here at number five because of my love for resident evil and that dead rising has a shop in it or a, a restaurant in it called jill sandwiches because jill almost became a jill sandwich in resident evil one Go That's and explain the, where this Jill... Does someone call her Jill? Yeah, Bar- Jill Barry Sandwich? does. So there's a there's a moment in Resident Evil 1 where you go into a room in the mansion and I can't remember what you do to make it happen, but the walls start to close in on you. And the door locks itself. You can't get out. Jill's banging on the, wall, on the door trying to get out. Barry uh, rescues her. Um, and then he says the immortal Good line of, wow, you almost became a Jill sandwich. And I'm pretty sure she just laughs. Um, and, and then they move on. So it's a, it's, yeah, it's become a bit of a meme in, the, yep. in that community. Um, and Dead Rising, you know, that's, you're talking about a game from like 2006, 2007. So the fact that they've got that in there before it really blew up, I guess, um, is, is pretty, is pretty cool. I don't think it stays. I'm going to, I'm going to cut it now because I think, Batman Arkham Asylum's one is just really awesome. And this one is just kind of like, it didn't take a lot of effort. It's just a sign that says Jill's Sandwiches. A little it's note. Just... A little nod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what your number four is. So let me know. What's this one about? So The Witcher 2 came out around about the time that Assassin's Creed was blowing up and becoming big. And um, I think there was a bit of a... So The Witcher came, for those that don't know, and they're maybe more familiar with The Witcher 3, The Witcher series came from a really hardcore pc game community which took their their rpgs extremely seriously um and i think there was a lot of sort of uh elite pc players looking down their nose at 
the success of mainstream games like Assassin's Creed and stuff like that at the time. Um, so there's a bit in a, in The Witcher 2 where you can walk around a corner and find Altair, the main character from Assassin's Creed 1, having tried to dive from a roof into a haystack and just died. Just hit the <laughs> and died. So the, in, in The Witcher 2, Altair is just sort of lying dead flat on the ground next to a, a, next to a haystack, which I think, find very funny. Yeah, that is really funny. It's it's you know it'd be cool enough if there was just like a dead Assassin's Creed guy, but the fact yeah. that he's died jumping into a bale of hay, yeah, and failing for once is fantastic. Yeah, That's they're essentially really just cool. saying, don't be stupid. You cannot dive into a pile of hay. You will die. <laughs> this is yeah. not a soft landing that you can opt for, which Assassin's Creed seems to tell people. Uh, yeah, I think maybe we keep that one in for now, and we'll figure out later on if we're gonna sure cut or not. Um, my number four, which I believe you had as an honourable mention at some point, is uh, in Doom Two. Yes. Where, in keeping with the ego of the man, um, if once you've beaten the final boss in Doom Two, you can put the no clip cheat code in and walk through the boss's head after you've blown it up, and you'll find John Romero's head on a stick, uh, who then then says, "To win the game, you must kill me, John Romero," and then you <laughs> shoot him, and then you actually do finally beat the game. Um, that was obviously at the peak of his rock star status. Yeah. Um, the sprite I, I of his lo- head is yeah, fantastic. As I well. love the rock and roll sort of ethos that they made with this game. I'm still a bit on a bit of a Doom kick after we did Doom sixty four. Yeah, uh, dipping in and out of the OG Doom, and still slowly making my way through the masters of doom book again but they did you know that there's another there's a follow-up to that book i did not know this oh yeah i did i've heard it's not meant to be all that good but i do i do actually want to get hold of it i'll probably audiobook it listen to will and tell me about it yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah i'm I'm a big fan of that one that's a good one yeah we'll keep that one in then for now as well uh your number three is my number one so i'm assuming this one sticks but tell us about yeah okay yeah since it's on a number one yeah, sure. Um, so you tell me about Fallout New Vegas. Fallout New Vegas is what I alluded to earlier with more call-outs to the movie industry's nonsense uh, where somewhere out in the wasteland of New Vegas you can find a fridge with the corpse of Indiana Jones in it who clearly and logically did not survive a nuclear explosion by hiding in a fridge because that's stupid. So uh, the fact that this game called that out <laughs> Is and especially the fact that it's completely not topical at all, other than I guess a nuclear explosion, um, is just fantastic. Because mm-hmm. there's a there's a surefire hit of an Easter egg that you know people aren't going to have an issue with, because surely no one thought that was good. No, no, not anyone sensible. Exactly. Um, and we gamers can be quite a cynical bunch, so I'm assuming that they played on that notion as well. Um, I also, when I saw that as a kid. I, for some reason, I've got memories of growing up being scared of getting closed in a fridge. And my mom, <laughs> like, tell me, like, that people had been messing about with old fridges and died because they'd closed themselves in a fridge and not been able to get out. So I remember seeing him close himself in a fridge. He's like, oh, that is, he's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you don't live from closing yourself in a fridge. No one does. Well, I mean, yeah, because I suppose you could, you, you can push the door, but they don't have, like, an opening mechanic on the inside of a fridge door, do they? Because no. your food's not going to be able to need to get out don't want your food escaping yeah um i just find it really strange to think that fallout new vegas and indiana jones and the crystal skull 
crisscross like they overlap in terms of when they came out it feels like yeah. i don't know i feel like fallout is way too old for that but clearly it's not it's obviously newer than that yeah uh right so number two we also both agree on as well and that is the the dog ending of silent hill 2 and i can't remember what you have to do to get the dog key to get this ending but there's nothing about this ending that i don't like this uh, is magic this ending is so good yeah the fact that you've got this you've got the the shiba inu dog which mm-hmm. became the meme dog later in later on as well so it seemed to predict that the the you uh the cons the computer console that the dog is using just looks so stupid and fake with all these really bright colorful yeah. buttons and i don't even think there's anything on the tv screens he's even looking at but you walk the main character james walks in on the on a on a dog pulling levers and pressing buttons he then realizes that that dog was the one who created all of silent hill itself he falls to the floor the dog very politely and kindly licks his face and then it ends with some incredible credits music and really funny end credit pictures of like James with his shirt off in the like being really buff. Uh, you've got a girl in her bra and panties. You've got random just interspersed pictures of the dog having fun and smiling at the camera and amongst horrible pictures of people dying. He randomly growls at the fat guy. Uh, amazing. Just an amazing ending. I don't know where they thought that up. It's just really outside so the box mental guy made mad, that up. isn't it? To think how horrible Silent Hill is as a game, how gr- gritty and gross and horrific it can be at times. So then have it all just being controlled by a lovely little dog is unbelievably cool. Yeah, I, I, I this, this is like the and the amount of like a lot of these ones we're talking about is like a designer putting like I don't know a few hours working. Whereas this one is like a fully fledged like cutscene and yeah voice acted script like they they really went the whole hog on this one yeah and and to make it yeah like a whole part of the game that you have to unlock by doing extra stuff to get there as well rather than just do you they, find it by walking about do they signpost that this is something that can be unlocked I don't think so I can't I really can't remember how you get it but I remember it's it is really difficult. I just love his little console and his, he's standing on a little stool as well on his hind leg. It's so good. Everything about it is perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, you're number one. You've got a Hitman 2 one and I don't think I know what this is. So I, like, like memes aside, like Easter eggs aside, just like, do you remember the really, I have a real, like, I'm, I'm going to keep repeating myself here, but I am incredibly entertained by restoration work's gone wrong oh yeah so when you see on like the news or on twitter or just some or like in an article somewhere of someone that's been restoring something and it's gone badly wrong i'm just i love it 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 just makes me laugh so much and the funniest and first one i remember seeing was potato jesus yes where someone was trying to restore a picture of some little old italian lady wasn't it yeah, of Jesus, and they made such a mess of it. Oh that God, it was so bad. It yeah, it looks so bad. And um, Hitman Two has a picture of that potato Jesus in one of the churches. Yes. Um, and I just thought, well, it's one of the best memes of all time. It has to be in there for me. Um, and just even thinking about potato Jesus makes me want to laugh. So. <laughs> um yeah it's in there just for pure comedy value it's, yeah. it's not it's not particularly 
well thought out. It's not. It's not like a a, a cut like in the same way that uh, the Witcher Two one is. It's not. It's not like foretelling a future game like Batman is or the other <laughs> number one we're about to talk about, which is and like and also Silent Two, which takes genuine work. This is just a PDF slapped into a game, but <laughs> it makes me laugh so much, and I I dearly love it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So the, what David has alluded to there, my number one, his number three is. Uh, I mean, it's not the first, but it's definitely one of the pioneers of gaming Easter eggs um, from the mind of Mr. Uh, Hideo Kojima, mm-hmm. uh, which is Psycho Mantis from Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, I mean, this one is probably the most tentative you know, uh, Easter eggs we've got because it's. I'm assuming it probably happens to almost anyone who played it, yeah. provided they played any other game and had a memory card. But when Psycho Mantis idea what it does reads, if he doesn't if you don't have a memory card? I don't know what he does actually when you do that. I mean, the whole boss fight is really cleverly done, where you have to swap your controller port round so he can't yeah. read your mind anymore. Um, I don't know if he did it in the original version, but on the GameCube one, I know he makes your controller rumble as well um, by telling you did to you move ever, it with his mind. Did you ever rent Metal Gear Solid? Because he used to have to come with a. Yeah, like a photocopy of the back of the box. Yeah, because that's where one of the Merrill's codec yeah. number is. Yeah, but the one we're talking about here is when he reads your memory card off and he tells you, breaks the fourth wall to tell you, the player, that he knows you've been playing whatever games is on your memory card. For me, it was something like Smash Brothers Melee and um, Monkey Ball on the GameCube version. Yeah, I've never played it on the PlayStation with a memory card involved, so. I have no idea what he would have told you you've been playing. <laughs> I've no idea either, no. But I mean it's soup it's so clever. It's such a cool little trick that they managed to figure out with the hardware back in the day. Um like I say, whether it's technically an Easter egg if you if you were just gonna get it anyway, you didn't really have to guide your way for it to happen. Mm. Within the game anyway. Um but it is still awesome. Now we need to do some we really need to do some cuts here. The only one that's been cut so far is a Jill sandwich. It's a Jill sandwich. Um, um, oh, this is hard, isn't it? This is really hard. Yeah. Um, well, we've got Silent Hill 2 dog ending. We've both agreed on that. I kind of feel like that might, for me, win it. Yeah, I think so too. Because just just the production gone into it yeah. makes it the most impressive one. And the fact that it is, it's well hidden, i.e. like... It's not one that you're just going to come across. Like no, you're not. That, no, I've played like, the game and had no idea it was even in there until I'd finished it. Yeah, um, which, I don't know, Psycho Mantis then maybe goes to number two, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Hitman Potato Jesus is just funny, so maybe it's not... Maybe I cut that. I do, do, would you want to cut Hitman? Maybe The Witcher 2 goes, because it's, it's, just, it's just a guy that looks like an Assassin's Creed man lying dead on the ground beside some hay, really. I think we could probably put that in the same bracket as New Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, it's just it's just a thing that you can see, and it's kind of funny, and that's that. Yeah. But if you think about um, Doom Two, where they've coded in John Romero's head as the final boss, you have to shoot, and he's got voice yeah. lines and stuff. Um, the Batman thing, I think, has to stay as well. well why don't just... we? Why? Wait, why? How? Why do you feel about this then? Number three, Doom. Number four, Batman. Number five, Potato Jesus. 
And there we go. Run us down the run us down the final list. So the top five video game Easter eggs we have in at number five: Hitman Two and his Potato Jesus. Number four: <laughs> Batman Arkham Asylum and the map from Arkham City. Doom Two when you're shooting John. Romero in the face to complete the game. <laughs> number two, Psycho Madness, reading your memory card. And number one, the Silent Hill 2 dog ending. Fantastic. Which Happy Easter. Us, Happy Easter, folks. Which brings us to the end of episode nine. It does. Um, next time, well, um, actually, we probably should announce it just so people can get playing. In addition to Hades, we're also going to be working our way through Portal 2, which I have bought. I'm just waiting on it arriving. So whenever that oh, arrives, nice. I'll be diving straight into that as well. Um, so those are the two games coming. You can um, yeah, you can expect Portal Two to come out on the nineteenth of April, which is the game's ten year anniversary. So get ready for that. Um, if you want to chat to us about what's coming up, you want to make any suggestions or talk about any of our our games or lists so far, you can send us an email on at or it's a winner is you pod at gmail dot com. Yep. Or you can at us on Twitter at a winner is you pod, and I think that's that's our housekeeping. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. Which brings us to the end of the episode, and with that, I have been David. He has been Alex. We have been the winners. You and I'm out. Keep gaming. <laughs>